All right, and we are live with Head Audio. Um, I'm happy to introduce to you guys. Uh, we have Freddie, uh, and let me just see if I can get this right. So Freddie is the uh, founder and CEO, and we also have Klaus, uh, who is the uh, is a founder and CTO. Is that correct? Yes, sir. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> the joys of, of, of working from home and having internet yes. issues, yeah. right? <laughs> All right. Uh, so we should be good ah, to go now. Now I actually see you, Andrew. Yes. <laughs> Anyways, as I was saying before this, uh, the hiccup happened here, there's a, there's actually a storm going on outside my place. So this is one of those cases mm -hmm. where it's uh, kind of out of our control. Um, so yeah, as I was saying, we have uh, Klaus and Freddie here from Head Audio, and we're going to be doing an interview with these guys, asking them some questions about the, uh, about the headphone and uh, the air motion transformer and all of this. Uh, we'll be doing the giveaway... Uh, near the end of the stream, and then we're going to get to some Q&A after that. So uh, without further ado, I just want to welcome everybody. Uh, thanks so so much uh, for joining us, um, both you know Klaus and Freddie. Um, and uh, yeah, it's, it's a pleasure to have you guys on. Thank you very much. Um, I want to start this off by asking you guys, um, you know, what's sort of the, the, the backstory behind Head Audio? Um, you know, uh, What's the company's sort of original relationship with the Air Motion Transformer? And in other words, sort of who is Head Audio? <laughs> so as you were asking uh, from the technical point of view, I would like to start with the AMT declaration, you know? Sure, yeah. <laughs> and um, this goes back like 40 years when I, as a student, I came across the Air Motion Transformer that was totally new at that point in time. And there was a speaker built in California by ESS. It was called the AMT-1. And the clarity of this unit uh, was so outstanding. And all the voice coil driven domes and cones looked bad. So I was really more than impressed. And um, I tried to understand the thing, which is really different from anything else you was, uh, I was uh, used to. And then later on, I founded a speaker company with normal drive units, of course. But I tried, uh, I reached out for Oscar Heil and asked him whether the kind of collaboration would be possible. There were patents at that point in time that uh, were not expired yet. And so it needed a few more decades because I was legally able to make a different version of the AMT. I don't know how many of you guys are familiar with the bulky huge original amt design and this uh, was the kind of speaker that the esoteric hi-fi or audiophile scenery preferred for a more general use it was not very uh, suitable and it had a horn-like geometry in front of the diaphragm that of course in a way influenced and colored sound and i looked out for a solution that could replace a dome in size and efficiency but not in quality <laughs> Would, it had to be better. It had to preserve the original clarity and transient capabilities of the air motion transformer design. I may make a short comment uh, on the design itself. All other loudspeakers that you have, electrodynamic uh, planars, uh, electrostatic, uh, isodynamic speakers, have one thing in common. They work uh, with a piston-like motion to move the air in a one-to-one -one ratio. So, uh, the air motion transformer consists of a folded diaphragm where these single folds are working like this. 
squeezing air out and sucking it in again. So it's a nonlinear motion compared to what the piston does, but it accelerates air in a four to one ratio compared to the diaphragm velocity. So diaphragm velocity and air velocity are different in this very uh, moment. Not the velocity of sound, of course, that stays equal for all, all people. <laughs> right. Uh, um, the local movement of the air to generate the sound that is a little bit faster or some factor of four times faster. And um, I tamed, I would say, I tamed the AMT to a small dimension. And I very much tried to not to have one of the many weaknesses that the esoteric designs regularly do have. A ribbon has no impedance, has a bad efficiency. Um, a ionic tweeter makes the room smell where you're listening. <laughs> Uh, for electrostatics, you need huge panels to make it reasonably working. So in all the very nice ideas that sounded different and often enough better than the voice coil driven systems, there were shortcomings. And so I uh, managed to make a tweeter that has the normal format of a one inch dome that had a higher efficiency compared to the dome where the dispersion characteristics and the distortion characteristics were on an excellent level. So this is a more general approach to replace the normal tweeter designs. And that's what Adam Audio that I once founded actually in these rooms here, by the way, um, was uh, succeeding with the monitors and the, the good uh, result they, they showed and the studios had to do with the resolution and the transient capabilities of the air motion transformer. And um, after some 14 years, like four years ago, I founded uh, with Frederick together the head audio GmbH. I try to perfection to make a more perfect tweeter even and to do other things as well. And the other things are the ones we are talking about tonight. The tweeter has a small band into the frequency only to uh, the, uh, the, the small frequency band that you find with the tweeter to have a, a full range unit. Uh, showed some difficulties for, for the headphones. Uh, but in the end, we managed to introduce different geometries of the folds. It's not one kind of fold, but it's getting smaller and bigger again. So it was achieved, uh, we could achieve a linear response from 30 hertz to, to 40 right. kilohertz. And uh, a frequency response alone, of course, does not tell you whether you have an excellent headphone or not. The, re the responses we have from different locations in the world show actually the freshness and the, the, again, the transient capabilities of that kind of transducer became evident and are uh, well received. It, in uh, your guys' uh, speaker designs, um, because, you know, that's, that's what it's been before, you know, the headphone. <laughs> uh, for the speaker designs, um, you guys have mainly used, and correct me if I'm wrong on this, but um, the, the, the air motion transformer has been use, used as the, in the tweeter, and then that's combined with some other um, you know, transducers. Uh, what can you tell me about that and sort of the, I guess, the combination um, of that? The combination uh, is to be done similarly to what you have to do with domes. That means you have to filter it and you have maybe the only, the only disadvantage <laughs> AMT has is that the crossover frequency should be 2.5 kilohertz or higher mm. in an ideal world. And what is possible with dome tweeters, of course, 1.5 to 2 kilohertz would be preferable for a homogeneous dispersion characteristic in the mid range. Mm -hmm. uh, 
we managed to compensate for that with a kind of um, waveguide that you find in front of the tweeter. And it is nothing that concerns the headphone, uh, the uh, reproduction, because you don't have dispersion characteristics there. And um, so the rest is a normal blending of a good tweeter with a good woofer. It's not different in so far. One thing, of course, is different. The load for the amplifier is easier to handle because the characteristic of the high AMT, similar to planar, dev planar devices, is purely resistive. There's no voice coil, no uh, rising uh, inductivity. The impedance is flat and it's harmless and so suitable for good reproduction. Interesting. So, but then for the speaker designs, is there, none of them are full range AMT. They're all AMT for above a certain frequency range. And then they use- I, uh, in, my, in my Adam Audio times, I introduced a mid-range on the high motion pro, uh, principle. Mm -hmm. But that was a difficult device, if I may say so, because mm -hmm. the longer you go, the more you are endangered with uh, the bigger amplitudes, with distortion and uh, efficiency problems. Right. Because the, the, that's something I, I should mention, especially in uh, to explain the efficiency of the headphone that is not ideal, it's a little bit less, because you have a huge magnetic gap that you have to fill, both in my old mid-range and now in the headphone. And that means to, to get lots of Maxwell, you need a lot of iron and a lot of magnets. So, and that's why we know that our headphone is a little bit heavier than other ones. And this has to do ex uh, effectively with the air motion prints principle as such. We need right. more, more steel and more magnets to have results. Right. And presumably that means power as well. <laughs> these days with all these excellent yeah. amplifiers around, this is not an issue. Yeah, exactly. Um, I wanted to ask about, you know, the the development of the air motion transformer in the headphones specifically, and you, you, you touched on that as well. Um, but um, the use of or the idea of making it full range, I imagine is, uh, yeah, more doable in a headphone um, than in than in speakers. But wh where did this idea of, I mean, you, you said that um, the ability to, you know, be linear all the way down to, you know, 30, 20 hertz um, is a result of using a variable uh, geometry for the for the folds. Where did this idea come come from? Or what was sort of the inspiration for, for this solution, I guess, for that challenge? First of all, let me tell you, this is the most frequent question I have heard. <laughs> I'm truly sorry for that. <laughs> so inviting, of course, to put it down. But if you if you look what is necessary, then you arrive at geometries and whites and prices that are out of reach. And it mm. would be, unfortunately, not very reasonable. Of course, I would be more than would have been more than happy to achieve it. But it's far away from realization from the technical details. If you look right. at what you really need and in weight, in magnets, in, in money, it is, I wouldn't believe it really works with all these punches that a good 12 inch can do. That is yeah. out of reach. Right. Um, I, uh, there was something that I remember reading about I, when the headphone was first um, talked about and people were comparing it to um, ribbon uh, transducers, but it's not actually a ribbon transducer either. Um, could you maybe tell us a little bit about the difference between the ribbon uh, transducer principle and for, for you know speakers? And now we actually, there is one in sort of like a ear speaker type thing, uh, which uh, Tyler knows about. <laughs> but uh, yeah, what, could you maybe explain the, the difference uh, for, for people who are unaware of, of that? 
first of all, I'm more than happy that you put the question on the table because it's the most frequent confusion yeah. we have. Right. <laughs> the problem is that a ribbon tweeter consists of a pure aluminum ribbon only. After that, a lot of planar, planner tweeters that are, are quite the same thing as the planner uh, headphones have entered the market. They are called DVR tweeter in the beginning from Infinity from California. It was a guy, the German guy called Daniel von Recklinghausen. And these DVR tweeters were the, uh, what you found in all the Infinity loudspeakers that some of you may be familiar with. And again, these are piston-like uh, diaphragms. They move like a piston. Mm -hmm. And the material, the diaphragm material we use for the AMT is just the same those planar tweeter people are using. And very similar to what the uh, uh, planar uh, headphones manufacturers are using. It, it's uh, a classical uh, combination. But what you do with the material is different. So we fold it. So you mm -hmm. have acceleration and air motion. And this is nothing you have with either uh, ribbons or planar or isodynamic speakers. Right. So a truly unique. Uh, the uh, material leads people to always call it a ribbon. Please, right. MT is not a ribbon. <laughs> <laughs> Perfect. I remember reading uh, as well that there was, I mean, you guys call the folds, the, the, they're called captain folds. Is that correct? Yeah, Captain is is a DuPont material that is famous in airplanes and everywhere you, where you need right. total, no stretching, uh, no humidity uh, problems, no fire problems, very solid and very stiff. Young's modulus is very high. Okay. <laughs> and, and and how does the, uh, so we're getting into the technical stuff here, I guess, but but how, you mentioned this briefly as well, but um, could you... Uh, Tell us a little bit how the magnet structure works for this as well, because again, I'm, I'm, I think a lot of us are sort of used to uh, typical planar magnetic designs or moving coil principles, where you know, but well, especially with planar magnetic designs and headphones, you know, the the magnet structure is uh, it's very um, I don't want to say iconic, but recognizable. Is there a similarity with that, or is it a different, a totally different as well? There's a serious difference because mm -hmm. the planar people or designers live in a comfortable world. The two pole plates are very near to each other, so mm -hmm. you can create a very strong field. In our case, the, uh, the difference between the two pole plates is more than six millimeters. In a normal voice call or planar speakers, you have a millimeter or less. Mm -hmm. So the magnetic field gets very weak. So you need more magnets and a, and a yoke to combine the front and north and south pole to get the most out of it. And mm. still need an open structure so that the, the sound may go out on both sides without impediments, you know. So that is a, um, either I want a strong field or I want no magnet at all to let the sound uh, pour in and out the way it should, you know. And so our compromise concerning the magnetic field is more difficult, much more difficult to achieve than with planar headphones. Right. And is that also the reason why, you know, the, the width is what it, what it is? Right, it has, it has to be a certain... Uh, uh, the millimeters that we need due to the construction of the AMT as such. Right, right. Uh, that's sort of what I what I imagined. Um, and I mean, so all of this coming together, um, you know, th this technology now in, in headphones, um, you know, 
we can say, uh, what, what, what would you, how would you describe the advantage over um, the, at least in maybe like subjective terms, right? For, <laughs> you mentioned, you know, fast transients and, and stuff like that, but, um, you know, the, the squeezing motion, right? As far, rather than the pistonic motion, what's sort of the advantage of that over, um, you know, traditional transducer designs? Um, as far as like, you know, what it's like to experience? Is it, is it in soundstage? Is it in detail? You know, fr fr from your words, what, uh, uh, how, how do you see that? The technical aspect is it is a speedy device. That means mm. the air is accelerated four times faster within the folds before the sound goes out. So mm. this, it associates that it is more transient capable. It's, it's more speedy. Snappier, yeah. yeah. The proof, I, I always emphasize the most important phrase for a speaker company or headphone company is the proof within the listening. Mm -hmm. If you look into the history of loudspeakers, you have so many nice constructions with bad sound and many conventionally made speakers with excellent sound. So the different principle, a good argument for one parameter is not at all a guarantee that you have the better sound. But the more open sound and the dimensional uh, uh, reproduction is advantages with, with air motion transformers. The airy sound, yeah, is of course the motion. <laughs> um, the airy sound normally makes a better stereophonic uh, picture or stage for, for the reproduction. That's what many people find and, and me myself as well. Yeah, um, and, and, and me as well, I, but I always, um, to me, the biggest, the most iconic thing about, or most recognizable thing about the headphone, as far as like the subjective experience goes, um, it's always been that it has a kind of physicality to it that that you don't get from other headphones. At least I don't, I haven't experienced that from other headphones. Is this something that, I mean, it, it can be directly um, related to, or, or is this something that the air motion transformer is directly responsible for as well? If I can answer it with my words, it's more vivid. The sound Yes, sure. <laughs> and that's, in the end, a credit to Oscar's principle. That's nothing I could either invent or influence. It's, if you do a linear and good working transducer, it comes with it. Then you yeah. enjoy it in the end, but it is part of the principle as it seems, both for the tweeters and for the headphone as such. Uh, just for anybody who's wondering, Oscar is Oscar Hiles. Oh, Sorry. Yeah, and he's the original uh, inventor for this uh, this, yeah. this technology. I may uh, add this small, as a small story that I visited Oscar in uh, he was in uh, a small city south of San Francisco, a few miles down the 101. I was there like seven eight times and discussed the matter with him. He was not happy with my excess because he was a fan of the dipole idea, which is not compatible with a normal speaker and. Um, mm. The end. Our my, my last visit was unlucky. He he was uh, he was not liking the idea at all and was a little bit rude. And um, <laughs> in the end, I'm I have to be very grateful because uh, my life was really <laughs> changing due to the to his basic idea. And the patent has expired decades before, so everybody can build one for today. And uh, he was a, a great physicist, by the way, as well. Mm -hmm. One thing when he was born 06 and when he did his PhD in Göttingen, which was the capital of mathematics and physics, theoretical physics, he was with all the big guys from Heisenberg to Ellenberg and, and he was an excellent physicist as well. But he had a lifelong speaker. He was a lifelong speaker, not just even already in the 30s, you know, right. he was really a speaker guy. <laughs> 
what was just out of curiosity, what was his, you know, re resistance to your, what you would, you know, put forward or where did that, um, yeah. Uh, um, I mean, if it, at least as you said already, the, the proof is in the listening, but you know, I wonder why, what, what would he, what would he say now if he's heard some of the head audio speakers, right? I think he disliked that I left the dipole thing. Oh yes. Yeah. yeah. Logically speaking that I did something different that, mm -hmm. uh, was the inventor i did something different i fear this has played a role <laughs> <Yeah>. okay <laughs> but i imagine he would have uh, you know enjoyed um you know listening to the oh, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> uh, it, it would be interesting to have that conversation to have that conversation now yeah um yeah i i, I want to bring freddie in here uh, i see some of you guys in the chat being like <laughs> what about Freddie? <laughs> um, okay. Right. <laughs> um, they, they want you to show the the prototype, Freddie. Yeah, that's a good. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Usually, I do these things in the company, and the prototype is there, unfortunately. So I only have the real thing here. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I, so I wanted to ask about, uh, and I've, I've spoken with you before about this, but um, with regards to tuning the headphone. Mm. Um, and actually, I mean, correct me if I'm wrong, but like, but you, the headphone is something that you've, you know, been working on and developing prototypes for, for a while. And I remember even, I, I've seen some photos of like the initial prototypes and, you know, with the kind of wooden pieces where you guys are trying them out. Mm. Um, it, what was the process like for, for tuning the headphone? Was there, you know, a specific kind of target curve you guys were looking for, or was it related to your background in musicology? You know, what, what's sort of the process for that? Well, I, I think um, both my and also my father's approach is, always comes from probably the background of active musicianship in a way as well and being quite experienced um, listeners and visitors of concerts and there's a certain understanding and a certain clear idea what certain instruments sh should sound like when they're re reproduced. So very often we're going into a process of developing a product with um, this kind of listening experience rather than doing things over scientifically so to say and um, the beginning of the of the of the uh, headphone was actually pretty much like a, a big version of the tweeter that was capable of full range reproduction and um, this giant tweeter so to say um, had a very specific um, sound signature that we very much liked, but it was very, very uneven. It had, a, it had a, a very majestic bass, for an example, that really blew us away. And that kind of created this click where we thought this is actually possible. We can tame this into, into a really, really good sounding headphone. But then overall, the frequency response was totally uneven. And of course, we didn't want to, we wanted to solve all these inherent problems by mechanical means so to say and we didn't want to come up with a, a dsp or an amplifier that would correct the frequency response obviously we, we wanted to create a device that could be used by other people with their favorite amplifiers and not you know chain them to to right. something that we we would have to add so it was a lot of trial and error it was the idea that my father mentioned of the variable folds um, there are at least, I would say, 15 prototypes, uh, some, somewhere between 10 and 20 prototypes where the variable fold principle is realized in different ways, you know, with tighter folds and middle tighter folds outside with less folds and more folds. And from, from these, these, this trial process, we learned so much uh, about 
how the, the geometry of these folds actually influence the sounds and where it's influencing the sound to the better and to the worse as well. And so, so in a way it was, for me, I have never been a part of the, the whole Adam story. I was always more on the sideline because I did different things. But for me, it was a so very exciting process of true research and development, mm -hmm. you know, as opposed to making speakers where there's, of course, a lot of former experience. And, and I don't know how many models my father designed over the last 20 years, but it's, it's definitely, definitely a lot of stuff. And so it was a very, very fresh and, and dynamic process for all of us, full of surprises, basically. And the tuning at the end of the day is, is a result of, obviously, of, of um, looking for a flat and a neutral and an accurate representation of sound. But some of the key decisions were actually made based on our individual um, experience as listeners and as people who, who are good at you know, interpretation of, of sound when it's being played through a, through a reproduction device. Yeah. Right. I mean, you guys have had sort of the, your, your whole lives as history of this, uh, <laughs> of all of this. Um, yeah. And, and probably, probably also, um, I mean, my father comes from a background in, in physics and, and music and my background is more um, musicology and analysis of orchestral music, of chamber mm -hmm. music, um, composition technique and and then I, I was a mastering engineer for five years pretty much full-time so we listen to the same things with different kind of ears but it's pretty remarkable that we always come to the same conclusions or there there are there are hardly ever profound conflicts when we when we go for a result and when we when we actually tune devices decide on filters decide on crossovers and speakers it's um we're pretty pretty close usually with what we find suitable interesting <laughs> um <laughs> am i correct in, in a in uh, for some reason I, I i have it in the back of my mind that there's somebody a watchmaker actually making the folds is that correct that's correct yes <laughs> that's, yeah. that's interesting is, is it just because that's the only way to to do it to ensure you know somebody with a steady hand is is doing this or um well, it's it's the steady hand. It's the ability of being very patient. It's the ability of working on a very small scale. Yeah. Um, that that is also very important when you fold because the slightest smallest difference will have some sort of soft effect on the frequency response. And and if you are a watchmaker or if you come from a, a background in you know any kind of work that requires these kind of abilities then then it's you're probably a good fit for this kind of work as well but nobody who starts working with us has ever done anything like that before sure <laughs> so it's usually it's quite quite the learning curve yeah yeah but but i mean this then means that in a way it's uh, you know the transducers are handmade right yeah. every every headphone is there's a handmade you know. oh yeah i have sealed and yeah like 20 20 folds or even more in, in the headphone everyone is, is is folded separately fixed next one is folded fixed so it's a tedious process which is much yeah. longer than a voice call that's like and yes. it's ready. exactly <laughs> yeah. and then also also it's the the whole q and c procedure is obviously uh, very sophisticated when you build things by hand so all the signal drivers are measured individually then we are matching the drivers based on the results of these measurements. Then 
we're assembling the headphones, then the headphones themselves are being measured again. And then there's a listening test involved that looks out for different things and with different listening perspectives. So it's quite a tedious process to, that happens before you actually, because before we're actually wrapping them up and sending them out. Right. Um, yeah, I mean, that, uh, it's, it's astounding how much work I imagine goes into this that, you know, you don't get to see when you just hold the end product necessarily, yeah. but, um, I, I wanted to just quickly get back to the, the, the tuning process. Um, and a, a lot of people have actually been asking me how much of the tuning is influenced by the pad, pad development and pad design. Quite a bit. Do you want That's to say what... something about this, Pat? Yeah. Um, I had to learn that pads play a major role. I wasn't waiting for that. I was warned, <laughs> but, uh, but uh, it has more of an influence than I had thought before. And uh, you cannot really engineer it. You have to see what kind of influence it has, and then you have to tune the transducer to fit music musically together with the pads. At that point, uh, uh, let me introduce our official word for it. It's called VVT. An air motion transformer transforms the velocity of air. And if you have folds that have different geometry, this transformation is different. That's why we call the whole thing, where we have a patent applied for, variable velocity transform, meaning that you have different geometry in the folds that you find in the headphone diaphragm. And that is the kind of tuning that we could do. Weighing mid-range, uh, the mid-range was like 10, 12 dB down in the original one-to-one <laughs> diaphragm that we started right. with. and it needed actually a, a many many steps of uh, uh, adaption to have a flat frequency response which we do have for today mm -hmm. um so i mean as one might expect it's a combination of many different parameters but the, the pads as well is a, is a significant one um, it's not the problem is if you have another pad nobody really can answer the question what kind of difference you will hear yeah, it's the case. <laughs> well, you don't you worry somebody's going to put different pads on at some point, or yeah. yeah. <laughs> I mean, it's it's very often it's a base uh, oriented discussion as well because once you open the pads, once you use something more of a loose material, you're losing some of the base frequency response. You're losing muscle and and tightness in the base, and so at the end of the day, we decided for something that is, um, you know, quite well sealed actually. Um, to maintain mm -hmm. most of, of this precious space that we we like from the start, yeah. Right. Um, I I want to uh, move to um, the. It, there's been a lot of questions about the the fact that it the whole transducer sits a bit farther away from the ear, and or or at least the question has been what is responsible for as you mentioned the the you know very large and sort of spread out kind of soundstage. Um, and, and, and the width that, that people talk about. Is, is it that, you know, the, the transducer is a little bit further away or does that not play as significant of a role? That's what we simply found. If you move just, yeah. diaphragms a little bit further from the ear, the sound, mm -hmm. the, the stereophonic reproduction is the winner. That's the only reason why it gets so yeah. tricky. Yeah, I, yeah. I imagined as well, that was why. Um, we, we tried different things, uh, obviously, but and of, of, obviously it was also a kind of discussion between the beauty and the sound 
staged quality because obviously if it would be a little more flat, a little bit more closer to the ear like most headphones, it would probably look a little more appealing. <laughs> but uh, we were really obsessed with an uncompromised uh, uh, sound experience and uh, everything else was in second order to that. Yeah. Right. I mean, is this something that uh, I, I know you guys, uh, you know, went through lots of different prototypes and, and whatnot um, with different sizes to the cups as well. Um, mm. You know, is is something that you guys are, uh, is that on the horizon for you guys at some point to make, you know, something with the air motion transformer that's smaller? Or is this just a requirement for implementing the air motion transformer um, in, in, in headphones? <laughs> You're smiling. Of course, no, that actually, is sorry yeah. yeah no it's it's if there's one thing that we learned over the last uh, 12 to 16 months it's that we have a real shot of becoming um well respected and and good headphone manufacturer in the next years and the the the, the first type of the headphone and the the way it sells through now in in, in very di many different countries um is is almost like uh makes us almost a responsibility to to do more in the future for this for this field yeah so were we you guys to that. Yeah. were you guys surprised by the the, the reception and the the you know positive demand that you guys have because it, it it seemed like at least initially you know there was a lot of you know people were trying to get their hands on one yeah i mean i don't know how, how about you Klaus, but i was very surprised because um it's like first of all the, the culture of the great headphone is not so much happening within pro audio. In the professional audio world, you have also kind of iconic headphones, but they're usually much more affordable and they're good at certain things. They are helpful tools in the process of, you know, making music and in the process of mastering and post-production, you need them at one point eventually. But it's not, there's not such a nice, vivid, dynamic culture around this sort of pro uh, product like we found it in, in, in your realm, if, if I may say so. And, um, and we had to learn over the, the, the course of last year, we had to learn about HeadFi, we had to learn about the, the, the culture of reviews, the, the forums, the, the obsession and the fever of people looking for, for the best headphones in the world. And, um, and while we were actually designing the, the headphone, it, it became more and more clear where this product is actually aiming towards. Uh, mm -hmm. we, didn't, we weren't so aware of that actually before. We wanted to make the headphone nevertheless because it's, nothing is more of an ongoing you know, painting for a tradition, um, our AMT tradition into a headphone product is obviously it's the most obvious and most beautiful thing that could have happened to us. But, but um, now we, are, we, we see more clear where, where this product is actually aiming at and where the people are that are interested in it. And um, at this point, I would say 70% audiophiles and, and, and headphone geeks and, and people who are interested in this and us. Um, <laughs> us, you guys, and, and your work, and then obviously the, the rest is pro audio. And it looks like it's going to be stronger in pro audio than we actually thought. Uh, we have a lot of inquiries from mastering engineers at the moment, from people working in home studios and sophisticated home studios, where it's not really necessary that the headphone is closed. Um, so, so that's a very, very positive turn that somehow um, it's, it's more, you know, it's more of a, of a real thing now for us. 
Yeah, I mean, I wanted to, I was, that was gonna be my next question. Um, I mean, the, this seems to have, you know, generated a lot of excitement in that, you know, pro, uh, you know, recording artist and, you know, engineering and mastering world. And even just, uh, I'll tell the story a little bit. Um, when we were in uh, New York at CanJam uh, this past year in, in February, before we could, you know, no longer have events and things like that, uh, you know, we got a chance to uh, take the, the headphone to a recording studio and uh, with you know with Freddie as well and and you know have some engineers try it try uh try it out and you know they they were all very impressed uh, in particular with the the you know the, the space and, and and localization and and all of that stuff which i imagine is something that you know if you're a recording engineer or mastering engineer or something you know in that world um and you don't always have the luxury of having your speaker set up with you um, you know, the, the headphone would be a suitable uh, alternative to that because, you know, you're able to, you know, do the, the, the uh, you know, stereo imaging a little bit better than, you know, something that's really, really tight. Um, so yeah. that was a, that was interesting to see. Um, and I mean, like you, you said now, I mean, it's, it wasn't necessarily something you were initially anticipating it, it being as popular for, but, but now you guys are, are, you know, seeing the, that's where a lot of the, the demand is coming from, which is yeah. fascinating. Yeah. Um, um, so the feedback's been good from from um, all of those uh, groups as well. But I wanted to ask about um, the the power requirements for the headphone because one of one of the things I mean, as you guys mentioned, the there's a lot of amplifiers these days out there where you know they're even the less expensive amplifiers are getting more and more powerful and able to drive. Um, headphones, uh, you know, the, the, the headphone. Um, but uh, I think Klaus, you mentioned uh, at some point in a, in a stream that I watched that the headphone can make use of up to five watts. Uh, is yeah. this something you'd be able to talk more about? Or, cause I think a lot of people are trying to not so much figure out what's, you know, minimally requirement, but maybe rather what's optimal. <laughs> <laughs> there are two limitations for the max power consideration heat and amplitude and from the heat point of view there is more possible than five watts 10 mm. to 15 something in between however if you put that much power to to the unit then the folds will meet uh, crash with each other and the, there's no more music there's noise <laughs> on so, uh, right mm. but five watt is a very uh, will not destroy the unit that is that's the message and how okay. loud you play and how many low frequencies you do have that limit the maximum loudness of course that's up to the music and to you but uh, from the heat from from burning the unit uh, you can say five watts is just fine but but nobody's going to be listening that loud to the point I hope not. <laughs> <laughs> yeah i mean do you guys have a favorite uh, amplifier that you're or are you constantly testing we've We've gone through so many different ones. We're I, I'm using the Fonitor here right now, but you know we've, as part of the giveaway, we're doing the IHA six from Kyan. So like, there's a lot of different stuff that, that people are trying it on. I mean, just yeah. <laughs> wondering what you guys' take is on you know, um, source pairing. So we've been working with uh, various companies over the last one and a half years. There's the obvious ones, the the German pro audio companies that we have, that we're quite close friends with so one is uh, rme for an example they have the adi pro which is a, a gorgeous device in, in any possible way and drives the headphone just fine really really mm -hmm. great match in our opinion 
And we also have RME audio interfaces in our lab, for an example, to do um, speaker testing and these kind of things. And that's not just the DAC, sorry, that's that's the pro, like RME ADI2 pro unit. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, that's actually the pro unit. So it's, mm -hmm. um, yeah, the, the DAC alone would do the job for most um, mm -hmm. headphone users potentially, because I mm -hmm. think it's the same chip. Um, and then there is uh, SPL also with the furniture line. Yep. Um, we have a bunch of those that we use for, you know, when we travel and we've been hooked up by cord with various devices that um, also are, we have good experiences with, but we are not overly, I mean, I would say that a lot of brands that you guys probably know inside out uh, have been you know, have crossed our paths yet. So uh, oh, okay. <laughs> it's something we are quite interested in, yeah. Right, so there's a little bit of uh, exploration there as well. Uh, Absolutely. This, yeah, Absolutely. this is brand new technology. So everybody's trying to figure out what the, the best sort of pairing is there. Yeah, yeah. And then also, especially within Europe, we, um, at the moment, we are trying to build like little mobile setups for the headphones. So we have like four or five, six devices in like a little in a box with the headphone and the amp and the cable so we can easily hook up people for demos because so many people uh, actually want to listen to the headphone now and um, we of course we we feel very encouraged to to make that easier for our partners and for ourselves as well yeah. right do, do you think the the power requirements this is just sort of a question about you know the industry in general because uh at, well two questions on this but yeah as you guys uh, as we've talked you know the the headphones have been very popular in the pro audio scene. And, um, but one of the things that I, I think about with this is, you know, there's a lot of headphones that do get developed for the pro audio scene that, that are a little bit more efficient. They're not, you know, as uh, they don't require the one water or whatever it is. Um, and I'm just wondering, do you think that the power requirements question is a, is a potential, I don't want to say barrier, but is that an obstacle that you guys are a challenge that you guys have to overcome with the pro audio crowd or is that not a problem at all? No, it's absolutely a problem. Um, you, you have to imagine that most engineers, even on the highest level of engineering, um, are not used to working with separate dedicated headphone amplifiers you know right. very often they would use the output of their audio interface they would use the output of a mixing console for an example and these devices never really matched the quality and the flexibility uh, and, and sound of of uh, a dedicated device uh, and so that's actually there's de de definitely um some teaching or educating uh, involved we've sold uh, just like two, three months ago, we sold um, two headphones to a producer crew within Berlin that do a lot of, you know, mainstream huge hip hop records with millions of, of, of cells, actually. And they are working with little universal audio interfaces. Uh, and those you actually have to crank them up to the, to the max in order to have like a moderate uh, a moderate listening experience and, uh, and, and then still you only get probably 60-70% of what the headphone could sound like. So there's definitely some, some, some education <laughs> involved in, and that, that's one of the reasons why if we hook up someone that we find interesting, that we want to, to push for the brand, then it's, it's usually advisable to hook them up with an amp as well to test. Yeah, that's, uh, that's one of the reasons why we did that as well, <laughs> make yeah. sure it's the, the right you know, setup. Um, I, I have a couple more questions for you and then we'll, we'll maybe, uh, yeah, get to the giveaway. But um, 
uh, my questions about the look and the, the aesthetic design and um, it, it seems to me at least, and I don't know if this is intentional, but it seems to me that even just the look of the air motion transform, you can see it in the, you know, in your, on the headphone there, that look is, is now becoming, yeah, again, I'm going to use the word iconic. It's becoming recognizable. Um, and there is something aesthetically interesting about it. And I, and I wonder, I mean, is, was this something you guys were consciously thinking about when developing the headphone that, I mean, it, apart from that, um, that, you know, with the, with the grill and everything, um, there's a there's almost sort of like a you know no nonsense all about the sound quality kind of vibe that this that you know the headphone has, and you know, you know as opposed to the you know super you know f fancy flashy looking stuff that, <laughs> that you see you know uh, there's like one behind me there you know <laughs> very very fancy looking you know and and with head it seems a little bit more let's say understated and more. Um, you know, matter of fact, <laughs> you know, this is, this is an air motion transformer. That's kind of what the statement is to me. Was this at all something, you know, that was intentional or were you guys thinking about this or is this just how this happened to, you know, uh, come into fruition? Yeah. Do you want to start? Yeah, maybe because the answer is uh, more simple. These were our first headphones. <laughs> <laughs> Fair the enough all the wonderful uh, manufacturing skills, experiences, companies were not at hand. And I have a preference for a clear and simple design that lasts yeah. more than for, for gimmicks and, and mm -hmm. wonderful surfaces. Mm. For future models, I will not exclude to be more attractive to the, <laughs> to the average buyer. That is not, but this was just the idea and the optimum in sound, regardless of yeah. bulkiness, weight and price. I mean, there's obviously maybe just to add that. Um, obviously, the if you if you have something unique, then it's advisable to find a way to make this visual as well. So, um, bringing out the folds and making them actually viewable from the outside was was a big goal for us. At the and at the same time, we we had many discussions. You know, should this headphone be around? Like pretty much any other headphone or should it have a different out, outer shape and could the shape be oriented to some extent you know you know kind of could there be a connection to the actual head logo mm. so there's a connection between the head logo and the out, outer shape of the headphone as well that played a vital role for us when we decided on the yeah when we decided on the on the geometries of, of the of the case basically so um, right. Those two aspects uh, were very important for us. And as was mentioned, I mean, this is your first headphone. Does yeah. that mean that uh, you know we can, as, you know, in the future, there's something to? Uh, or I guess I, a better question would be, you know, how long did it take you guys to develop the 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 head this one? And you know, are you expecting a similar, you know, research and development process for you know the next thing that you guys do in the headphone world? It was pretty much one year of. Of intense work, we uh, winter um, 1819. The, the the idea became uh, clear, and then the, the first tests were performed around spring. And then we decided to consciously decide to bring a prototype to the Munich Cayenne show because we were we wanted feedback from the outside world. We wanted to you know step out of our very small circle and 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 meet and and talk to people who actually are experienced in whatever way with, with this market, with these sort of products. And so that was a, a very interesting uh, learning for us as well. And then the actual first headphones were shipped uh, around December, I think January, 2020. So 
Um, right. One one year of dedication. Yeah. Does it mean a year and a half approximately? A little less than that, I would say. Yeah. So, uh, and, and the first you one know, is the most difficult one, probably. Yeah, I was <laughs> so so. I was going to ask that. I mean, it's would we expect a similar time gap? Or I, I mean, I, I'd also want to wonder, like, you know, th this this was a fairly high end, you know, audiophile, uh, you know, device that a lot of us are excited about. I mean, but are there other sort of you know price segments that you guys are in you know interested in you know targeting with with headphones, or are you looking more at the at the high end stuff? Are you looking more at that? I guess me, <laughs> like the people like me. Well, I, I would say that. Um, Couldn't we just um, say it's a bi-directional answer? Yeah. <laughs> yes, <laughs> exactly. No, I, I mean, we are well aware that this headphone is, has a very limited, it has beautiful, but very limited use. It's not for people recording. It's not for people stepping outside of their house. It's not for people who are, who are on a budget. I mean, there are so, all sorts of aspects that this headphone doesn't really match in a way. It's beautiful for people who sit down and actually really want to dive into a record and listen and, and experience and uh, with the kind of patience and a kind of sophistication. But um, any headphone that we would work on and would put out next would have to, you know, go more towards a different direction and would have to broaden our audience into in some extent as well. So I, mm -hmm. I wouldn't really want to put out something that is the same, but changed ever so slightly, but it would be more something to, to, to reach out to, to different audiences that are already interested in us as well. Yeah. Very cool. Very cool. Well, um, that um, basically exhausts the, all the questions that I have for you guys for now. I'm sure I mean, we could have, you know, talk about this for a long time, but I, I want to yeah. uh, ask, um, well, first, actually, before we do the giveaway, Tyler, did you, uh, did you have any additional questions uh, for the, for these folks or should we uh, get the giveaway going? Um, I think we could just get, get into the giveaway. I think, uh, right. I mean, honestly, you can nail on all the questions I would have had. Uh, <laughs> my, I'm usually more into like the uh, subjective and, designy type stuff and and uh and getting into the music part which frederick already kind of nailed so i don't really i think i think we're we're good we can jump right in and then we, after right. that we can jump into the questions i have a couple that are that i've been pulling so cool all right let's let's do the giveaway now so just so you guys know if you're signing up after this i'm sorry I, it won't be pulled <laughs> so everybody <laughs> up until now has is being entered um and so we are entering into the random selection and the winner is, you guys ready for this? I'm excited. <laughs> All right, I have no idea how to say this name, but it's it's Petar Kavelj. Petar Kavelj, we'll be, we will be in touch with you uh, and uh, we'll send you an email. And then, so you've won the headphone, you've won the Kyan IHA-6 amplifier which is on the desk behind me. Uh, and then you've also won the Topping E30 uh, DAC, just so you can get up wow. and running with this. So that's a complete head audio system. You're yeah. up and running. Congratulations, Pedar. Really, really better setup. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> oh, that's exciting. Um, very, very cool. All right. Well, uh, on that note, we have questions from the chat. Um, Tyler, did you want to? Uh, 
I'll let you select them. Yeah, so uh, first couple, I have a couple of basic ones. Um, is uh, when designing the headphone, what amplifiers, uh, amplifier sources, which you kind of already nailed, um, were the specific amp gold standard, which you already talked about. So uh, from that, they wanted to know um, what the uh, DAC used, which you kind of nailed with the RME. But is there any others in that realm? Like, so to tie that together, what, what were, um, I'm going to convert this into my own question, I guess. Uh, what were your guys' favorite pairings for DAC and amp with, with the headphone? Hmm. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. Yeah, well, I mean, I, I there, obviously there are differences in taste between the companies that I mentioned before. And, um, you know, you could probably say that an RME sounds a little bit brighter and a little bit more brilliant than an SPL Phonitor or something. They both mm -hmm. work really well with the headphone, I would say. But uh, in terms of pure conversion quality, I wouldn't really be able to tell you this is much better than that. Um, <laughs> at least not in, in between the companies that we've been listening to the headphone with. Gotcha. And, and more in the sense of like, what, what would be, I guess, uh, in that, well, actually, that's, that's fair enough. We can jump to the next one. I think that's well, actually, I, just on that subject, I mean, you guys mm -hmm. have, you, you mentioned that you've taken it to the Munich high end and obviously you've taken it to CanJam, the, the headphone yeah. that is. Um, yeah. You have any amp manufacturers, uh, you know, asked, you know, hey, could we try this out on our system? Because that's one of the things I do notice, or I, I'm just remembering from, going to that event is that you know, everybody in the community is very uh, you know, excited to try different things with different things, right? So was, yeah, is there anything yeah. that, that, have you had any of that kind of, um, yeah, uh, um, request? We yeah, we had requests, but they were more from the, actually from the pro audio industry. Oh, okay, like, gotcha. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. Because I mean, pro audio needs conversion uh, on a day-to-day -day basis as well, so. The, the 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 simple deck model is something you would find in both these these world right fair enough mm -hmm. um anything else tyler yeah there's a, i have a couple here um we can do a couple quick fire ones um well, wanna, uh, da, da. someone this got a little controversial um but it goes into the build of the um the headphones and yeah. is there was there a limitation to the way that these extended? Like how was that? Um, was was that uh, a factor? Oh yeah, you guys changed the uh, the arm length, right? And, and is there a way to make it even longer, or is that is there a limitation now with that, or is that something? Mm -hmm. So the first few batches, um, we we got feedback on those by people saying, you know, my head is really big. It's it's uh, feels a little cramped. Like who could that be? Could, could, could you guys do anything about this? Mm -hmm. And it, it was approximately, my, my guess would be approximately 5% of people that had bought the headphone. So, but at one point it, you know, it reached the forums and it became kind of a <laughs> headband gate kind of situation. <laughs> yeah. and, and then of course we, we looked into it because uh, this was, was a remarkable, you know, feedback. And we you know, we looked at it not with the idea of redesigning anything profoundly, but you know, could there be anything we could do in order to make it a little longer by the, with the means that we already have? And then we've, you know, we, we started to work on this. And at the end of the day, we found a very, very simple way to uh, extend the headband by, I think it's roughly uh, 0.8 millimeters. Yeah, yeah 0. Millimeter, 0 0.8 millimeters, I think, per side. So it doesn't really sound like a, like a huge step up but it's actually more than enough now because the these these problems have 
almost disappeared in, in, in the feedback we get from people. Yeah. Mm -hmm. um, I, I found a uh, somewhat technical question, uh, maybe for Klaus. Um, the, the diaphragm thickness, somebody's asking about the diaphragm thickness, because this is something that often gets talked mm -hmm. about with you know, planar magnetic de design principles as well. So um, that'd be something you know, interesting um, to, to know about as well. Are you asking for the material for the diaphragm material? Uh, I think that's what they're asking about for you know the the thickness of the material and whether or not that plays a role in you know the, the overall sound quality and and that kind of thing. Mm -hmm. Something a little bit special about the diaphragm is the fact uh, that the aluminum is uh, not connected uh, with the glue to the Captain folio but that the both folios are um, pressed together with heat and pressure in mm -hmm. a way so that they, they are connected. With the glue in between, if you etch the stuff, you would have incorrect results on the edges, you know. And uh, to have a constant impedance from piece to piece, that needs the special material combination, Kapton and aluminum, physically pressed together with heat so that it is the kind of laminate that we can start with to make the diaphragm. The captain is like 10, 11 mus if you have uh, that, that value, and the, the aluminum is like 20 um, mus. Mus, what do we pronounce it? Micro, micro. Yeah, 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 yeah. Uh, MUs, right? Yeah. MUs. <clears throat> yeah, I got it. <laughs> um, so this is different from, you know, I, I think a lot of the time with, again, the, play, the, the reference for audiophiles is all, with this kind of stuff is often planar magnetic transducers because that's, sure. you know, um, that's all we really know. Maybe electrostatic as well, but, but uh, where the conversation often revolves around diaphragm uh, thickness and, and, you know, na nanometer thickness and that kind of stuff, because that's, uh, I guess, common vernacular for, <laughs> for this kind mm. of stuff. But, but what you're saying is that it's a, it's a different kind of thing entirely um, with air motion transformer for the diaphragm in general. The following, in a, in a planar device, the weight of the diaphragm actually is the limiting factor for frequency band. Mm -hmm. Mass reduces the response, so make it light is, is what's most important with planar devices. In our case, uh, we have a kind of, not a kind, we have a transformation, like if you press something together, and if the air is light, then it's not a problem if your hand is a little bit stiffer but has more power. So right. we, have, we concentrate on this power and one to four factor more than to have it as light as possible. And in the end, the result is what what counts, yeah. Right, right. Great. Um, so let's see. Any, anything have, else jump have, out? Yeah. Yeah, I have like 10 questions. That I have okay. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry to keep you guys. <laughs> um, yeah, so the uh, another one was uh, a kind of interesting one was, could any of this technology um, be utilized in an IEM? Is there a way to make this into like maybe like a one tiny little fold like into an IEM? That would be, <laughs> I don't know how that would work, but like, uh, um, what, what are your thoughts on that? Like uh, in, in the AMT driver in a, in a IEM housing, like that'd be, seems pretty nuts, but. Or even like those ones, you know, like the I3 and I4 mm -hmm. that are outside oh, the ear, yeah. but still are in, in ear, you know, in a way. That'd be interesting. Yeah, yeah. Maybe somebody asked question <laughs> before. Yeah, <laughs> somebody. Yeah. I think it's simply impossible to have an in-ear device as such with an AMT. Mm -hmm. 
And the special solution, I think it's from Odis with these outer yes. yeah. thing, which uh, the... looks fair to me, at least something maybe could be achieved. But mm. uh, I doubt whether it makes sense to make <laughs> such a project. <laughs> Right. Yeah. Um, another one was, and, and and forgive me if you guys already answered this, but it's a quick one: is uh, uh, options for a closed back? Is that anything that's uh, thought about at all? Um, seems like that was one of the, the ones that kind of kept popping up. Yeah. For me, the sound of closed-up headphones is not an invitation. <laughs> Roger that. Um, and then, uh, uh, then. People kept asking about this. Is the there's a couple ones kind of um, similar questions, so I'm going to ask them together. It's uh, how well are the drivers matched, and how do you test for consistency? Yeah, so Frederick mentioned already. We we measure each each and every transducer mm -hmm. the moment it is made, mm -hmm. and then if the transducers are mounted into the final headphone, we measure it again, and we okay. do a matching process in front of it. So we have a plus minus one dB approximately similarity between the units. And it should be mentioned that irregularities in the frequency response in dBs, like one or two dBs, are much less hearable <laughs> compared to loudspeakers. I had to learn how little uh, of what the nah, importance linear frequency response is not available with headphones. You know this from all the measurements. Mm -hmm. uh, Another truth is that tolerances and frequency response are less important comp compared to speakers, considerably yeah. less important from our hearing experience at least. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. We cre actually created our own matching um, kind of software That's uh, cool. to really have something that is individual suited to, to our product. Very cool. And go ahead, Klaus. Sorry. Okay. Oh, sorry, Klaus. Uh, 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 next question. <laughs> next question. Um, this is actually uh, kind of gets a little more into the fun, fun stuff. Um, mm -hmm. Well, there's two, two before that fun stuff. But uh, uh, balanced versus single-ended cable connection. Um, was that already talked about a little bit? But like, what's the take on that? Is there any? I mean, to me, it's just one has you get more power and you get a little bit of you know cleaner like sound. It's one little change uh, because the source impedance mm -hmm. of a headphone amplifier who is driven symmetrically is different from the one that is non-symmetrically. However, most of the headphones, especially the planar ones and ours, mm -hmm. are flat resistive loads. And so this is very similar for an amplifier to have a, a Vista to be driven is a, is a relatively easy task. Mm -hmm. And yet I have to admit I thought it sounds better with a symmetrical cable, although from a technical point of view, I have to refuse this. <laughs> <laughs> but, uh, there were small listening experiences, very small ones that uh, let me think about it. Um, and of course, we will always have symmetrical uh, connectors for that case. Yeah. yeah. Symmetrical being, you know, what we think of as balanced, right? Mm -hmm. balanced yeah, exactly. Yeah. As well. yeah, of course. Yeah. yeah. Um, there was some, uh, in theory, I mean, would, would somebody be able to use uh, a different cable, um, like a balance cable, or would they have to get the official one from, from you guys? Balance it doesn't matter. It's normalized and you can use it with all the different. 
Perfect. That yeah. that was an important question. A lot of you want. Yeah. I'm actually using a balanced app to market right now with them. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I'm yeah. using the official stock. You know? <laughs> one one fun one. This is a. Uh, what was your sample of music while demoing and tuning the headphones? Hmm. Or one. did you have a specific type of, of music that you would lean more towards? Well, we have a very, very well-chosen selection of probably eight to 10 tracks that we always rely on for the headphone as well as for the speakers. Um, and that's a pretty wild mix between genres and recording aesthetics and stuff. But I would say that at the end of the day, we are always, for the, for the serious process of decision-making, filtering, massaging, frequency response, uh, we usually rely on acoustic material um, just because it's much easier for us to judge mm -hmm. whether a drum set or a piano or, you know, like, like a violin sounds authentic in our ears. It's much, much easier to, to actually have a, a proper discussion uh, about this, um, you know, as opposed to comparing, you know, 808 drum uh, sounds or electronic music where you don't really have a clear understanding what the source is like, what the source sound, like, should sound like. So there's, there's a lot of acoustic music involved, lots of classical music, lots of chamber music to, to also very good for, for talking about the spatial um, properties of, of, of the device we would work on. And then obviously in the process of QC, for an example, there um, are some, some pretty, you know, torturful electronic tracks that actually that really trigger the, the headphone at a very low point. In, in order to look for, you know, where, where is the physical boundary, where's the mechanical border of the device. And, and if you want to find little problems in a headphone, it's usually really good to, to feed it with, you know, very low, probably sub-base, you know, oriented material so that we have some, some stuff there as well, but yeah. I'm gonna have to remember to use the term torturful electro electronic tracks <laughs> in the future. <laughs> But it's interesting yeah. you mentioned it because it's it's you know it makes a lot of sense. This is one of the reasons why I tend to gravitate more towards that kind of music as well. It's because, at least for evaluations, because I have a reference point for what that stuff's supposed to sound like, you know, yeah, in real life. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. This is this is not a statement on on our individual musical tastes, obviously, mm -hmm. but it's 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 very crucial for for the actual R and D mm -hmm. process. Yeah. Yeah. yeah exactly. Mm -hmm. So real quick, does someone ask uh, preferences, or they ask? Um, do you guys love electronic music and can it test the limitations of the headphones and treble extension? Well, I think Chris likes electronic music. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Hi, Chris. <laughs> if he's, in, he's probably watching. <laughs> Chris has been in, vi in vinyl distribution for a long time, actually. So he's, oh, okay. he has a lot of connections in the, in the UK electronic music scene. But I mean, yeah, we're from Berlin. So there's some really some natural uh, playground here for us. We're very close with companies like native instruments and Ableton that, you know, design devices for, for music production uh, and for people who are more into the electronic music side of things. Um, there's a pretty strong hip hop scene here as well. And uh, so, so I'm, I personally, I'm, I'm very much in this realm as well. And I would say that probably 50 to 60% of customers that bought our speakers, our monitors are actually somewhere in this world. And um, we have a strong scene in drum and bass, in a strong scene in 
in hip hop, we have a lot of ambient musicians uh, that that work based on electronic materials. So it's definitely a, a quite a strong field for us. Yeah. I, I just I have one quick question um, about source pairings to go back. Um, have you guys tried the headphone with any tube amplifiers or is this something anybody is is yeah, have you heard of anybody trying this out? I, I did, yeah. I, I know Tyler <laughs> does, but I just wanted to get your guys' take on 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 you know pairing you know with a tube amplifier versus pairing with a solid state, and you know do you have a preference yeah. or what's your thought on that? I personally pref mostly prefer solid amps um, because they maintain more of the cleanliness and the, the the you know jumpiness of the of the original headphone like we imagine it. But mm. I've I've listened I think to one one you know this crazy manlay device where you can tweak oh, yes. all sorts of troop related uh, <laughs> um, components um, and that one actually sounded pretty good on it but at the same time it it adds something uh, that makes the headphone just not sound like the headphone we had in mind but still people might really enjoy this it brings in right. some some warmth some crunchiness some some spaceship more like of a spacious sound like in the lower frequency range um mm. that is probably really really good for a lot of people yeah yeah um well that i think exhausts all of my questions tyler uh how are we doing I, we're coming near the end of the stream here because we've yeah. been over an hour so yeah no <laughs> okay. um yeah we can uh, crank it out but uh, the last one i saw in here was uh pad rolling um I, they were asking, oh yeah we we talked yeah yeah like about the pads that, yeah. so that was i mean just that they missed it so but that was the only thing that I saw more recently. So since I was already asked. But the answer uh, at the moment is no. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, uh, yeah, that's pretty much the, the end of it. That was the last Great. big question. Great. So uh, so yeah. I just want to let everyone know what we're going to do here is we're going to uh, turn this into a, a podcast and then I'll leave it in the link in the description. So, you know, nice. you don't have to, uh, you know, if you're not keen on looking at my, mine and Tyler's faces for the entire <laughs> session, <laughs> uh, you guys can, uh, you know, listen to it in an audio version. Um, but uh, yeah, that, uh, that does it for this stream. Um, and also, um, you know, thanks to everybody for participating in the giveaway and a huge thank you to uh, Klaus and Freddie. Uh, it's been wonderful to chat with you guys. And, and this has been a lot of fun. So likewise, likewise. Yeah, very cool. pleasure. Thank you. Cheers guys.